So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we are in chapter 8 today. If you don't have a Bible, we're on page 403, Nehemiah chapter 8, page 403. In Nehemiah, we've called it Repairing the Ruins. And what we've seen is the people of God in the Old Testament rebuilding the city whose purpose was to broadcast the name and fame of the creator God of the universe. So we have a lot of things in common with these people. There's cultural distance, there's different things, but there's also commonalities. We are also the people of God. We are also trying to build a a place and places that would broadcast to the world who God is. We want to tell our neighbors. We want to tell our friends. We want to invite the nations into this God who is both absolutely just and righteous, but who is also a forgiving and merciful God. And so we're inviting people into that same relationship with that same God. This week is an exciting chapter, at least exciting for me because I'm a preacher, because it's all about this giant Bible conference. So we're calling it God's Word, Repairing the Ruins of God's City. That might be the longest sermon title I've ever had, but I just wanted to put it in context. It just seemed too vague to just say God's Word, right? So God's Word, in the context of Nehemiah, God's Word, Repairing the Ruins of God's City. I had to look at it just to remember all those words. God's word, repairing the ruins of God's city. That's what we see happening here. I'm just going to read the first verse, Nehemiah 8.1, and then we're going to read the rest of them as we move through the morning. So let's read it. Uh, Verse 1, it says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, that means he's an expert in the Bible, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So we've got this giant Bible conference. They're all in a public square, and they're saying, bring out the book of the law. Teach us God's word. That's what we're going to study today. We're going to look at what they did, uh, try to relate that to who we are and what we do today. Um, I think the biggest friction point for us is we don't really believe we need God's word. I think that's really the friction point. These people were in a place of brokenness. They had hit rock bottom. They'd been through the exile. They recognized their own folly and they were hungry for God's word. A lot of us today are not in that same position. Some of us think we're just fine. We think we're just fine. So my prayer for you would be that God would grow you to a position of recognizing your need, recognizing that you need God's words, you need God's direction. So let me pray for us, and then we'll look at it in more detail. God, we pray that you would teach us. We ask for your guidance. We ask for your direction. And God, we also pray for our hearts. We recognize that this is a broken world and that, frankly, we are a part of the brokenness in this world. So, God, I pray for those of us that are already coming to you, seeking your help, that you would help us to listen and receive your word. And I pray for those of us, Lord, that don't think we need your help, that you would illumine our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to recognize our great need of your direction, our great need of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several weeks ago, a couple of months now, um, I was driving my Mitsubishi Galant. It's kind of like a high-performance race car. I was driving my Mitsubishi Galant down the highway, and it just stopped, right? Just wasn't going anymore. Uh, So finally figured out after getting it to a mechanic that the timing belt had broken. And the timing belt is apparently a belt within uh, the guts of the car that tells the car how to time things or something like that. So um, it, it just broke the engine. It wasn't working anymore. And what happens is it, it damages the, the inside there of, of the head, right? So am I using the right words? So the head of the engine, there's these uh, valves and there's pressure and they get all scuffed up. 
And when I found out how much it would cost to repair the car, I, at first I fainted. And after I, after I came, came back to and heard the numbers again, I started talking to some of my buddies that know how to fix cars. So there's several guys here in the church that I know and talk to about cars, guys that have helped me with cars before. Talked to them about it. And I finally became convinced that with direction, right, with help, we could repair the car. I knew there was no way I could do it on my own. I knew there was absolutely no way I could fix this car on my own, no matter how many YouTube videos I might watch. But I knew that with direction, with someone's help, explaining what the manual meant, reading the car manual, looking at the YouTube videos, doing all this together, getting some outside direction, I knew we, we could do it. Or at least I'd been convinced that we could. And uh, Jim, one of our assistant pastors, helped me and got some guidance from some other folks and, and finally got it repaired. Um, and what I want you to see in the text is that we're all basically broke. We're all broken. We're, we're all dysfunctional. And what the scripture says is all humanity is dysfunctional. It's just some of us know it and seek God's help, and some of us deny it. The way First John says it is, uh, if you say you have no sin, you lie, and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the picture here is that God is gracious. We're all dysfunctional, but God is gracious, and he, he gives us his word. He helps us. He comes to us. He guides us. And as I said, the, the people of God at this point in history, they were a little more desperate for direction. They'd hit rock bottom. They, they knew they were broken. And my prayer for you is if you haven't hit that place yet, that God would bring you there with as little pain as possible. Sometimes it requires pain, but with as little pain as possible, he'd get you to that place of recognizing your, your need for his direction. Uh, the word for law, they said they brought up the book of the law. The word law in Hebrew is Torah, and it literally means direction. Literally means direction. The wise man seeks God's direction, and the foolish man tries to live life on his own. We see that even in the, in the Garden of Eden. We see Adam and Eve saying, we don't want to follow your, God, your direction, God. We want to do life on our own. We want to direct ourselves. And ever since then, we've been replaying that same sin. We've been doing that same, that same thing, trying to live life on our own apart from God's direction and apart from God's help. So we, we have something to learn here. We see people recognizing their need and calling out to God for help and for direction. Uh, and as we've said again and again, when we look at Old Testament narratives, we want to be careful that we don't just mimic everything they do, but we want to kind of see through to their faith. Their human need, just like we have human need, and their faith in a good God, just like we want to have faith in a good God. So that's what we're kind of trying to discern today as we look through the text. And the first thing that we notice is that they do, at a large scale, decide that they need to learn and broadcast God's Word. So the first thing I want to kind of pick at is the broadcasting of God's Word. We want to be a people who broadcast God's Word. And I purposely use kind of a big word there. It doesn't necessarily mean TV, right? But it just means we want to we want to push it out at a large scale. They, they were doing this in a public place. I have a picture here of Billy Graham from, this is like from the 50s or the 60s. He's in Trafalgar Square in London, which is a large uh, public kind of park area in London. I've actually been there. Uh, there weren't that many people when I was there. Uh, but he is at a large scale just broadcasting God's word to tons of people. Um, that was what Billy Graham's ministry was marked by. Um, when we, on Sunday mornings, 
communicate God's word. We're trying to, at a large scale, broadcast who God is and what God has to say from his word. That's what we're about as well. So let's read through the text again, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe. So a scribe is someone who is trained to handle and write and read and understand and interpret God's word. So Ezra, the scribe, the book previous to Nehemiah is, is the book of Ezra. And most people see Ezra and Nehemiah working together. What we're reading is the book of Nehemiah. It's been more about Nehemiah, but Ezra also is a part of what was going on in Jerusalem here. So they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So my first question for you is, are you to that point where you're begging people to bring you God's word? Have you gotten to that point where you're like, I desperately need God's word. Please bring me God's word. Are you there? If you're not there, that's a sign, again, of your own uh, independence, of your own feeling of, I'm fine, I'm good. I don't need any help. God, I got it. I got this covered. So they're saying we need it. Bring God's word. Verse 2, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And so a comment here is it's men and it's women, and it's in a public place, and it's also for all who could hear. Um, and most people would argue, most commentators would argue, this means it was men, women, and children. And they just mean men, women, and children that could comprehend what was being said, right? Uh, and so this, I think, is an important point as well. Our children don't just need fun and games. We're going to get to an application later on where we'll, we'll say fun and games are good. They're okay. But they don't just need fun and games. They need the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, if your parents, bring your kids into church, don't always outsource all of their education to Sunday school and nursery and other things. Now, that's a sliding scale, and parents have to make that decision at different ages with different kids. You know, we have three kids. They're, they're grown now, but uh, some of them were wigglier than others, right? Some of them learn more by listening. Some more learn by doing it. And so you're, the, you're deputized to disciple your children. But what I just want to argue is don't completely outsource all of that to age graded stuff to the extreme because that's kind of where our culture is now i'm not going to define an age for you if you got to bring them in at this age but what i'm going to say is you're in charge you have to disciple your children you have to make sure your children are being taught the word of god and if their entire life they're doing segmented age segregated stuff away from people of different ages that's going to cause some kinks in their spiritual life they're going to not know how to relate to other people of different ages they're going to not know how to think above their level not be stretched. So just be aware of that. That's a trend that we live in the middle of right now. We split up everything by age. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that causes problems. So they've got everybody. They've got all ages, all stages of life. It's in a public place. An application for us is we always want to make our worship services accessible, uh, as easy to understand as possible, as public as possible. Uh, We try not to be a membership-based worship service, but we try to be a very open worship service where when you hear me preaching, you think, oh, my neighbor that's never been to church before, he could, he could understand that. I'm going to invite him. That, that's, that's kind of our goal here. We want to teach the Word of God in a way that helps you uh, if you're already committed to it, but also is helpful to people that have never heard it taught before. And that's a goal for us. So public place, it's not in the temple, it's not in the private uh, religious uh, sections of the temple that that had certain people that could only go into certain sections. This is out at the Watergate. This is out in public. And it says, verse 3, he read from it facing the square before the Watergate from early morning until midday, 
in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. Um, so I just want you to note something here. Uh, this was a six-hour sermon, right? Doesn't that just excite you? I mean, it excites me. I don't know why you wouldn't be excited. Um, we're not going to go that long today. I did go a little long this morning, but it wasn't six hours long. So uh, break of day to midday, six-hour sermon. He's reading the Word of God, um, and it says, it was in the presence of the men, the women, all those who can understand. It says, in the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So again, we have this hungryness there. We have this, give us, the, give us God's word. Give us God's law. Give us God's direction. They were attentive. They were paying attention. They desired to learn. It goes on in verse 4 and says, And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Um, so this is not, again, not one of those things where you have to imitate it exactly, but it just shows purposefulness. It shows they had designed a place to communicate. So I'm actually standing on a wooden platform right now, right? And I don't think it was because someone read, you know, Nehemiah 8.4 and said, we've got to have a wooden platform. But the idea is that people build platforms and stages and pulpits and speakers and things like this so that people can hear, so that people can see, so that people can uh, learn what's happening. So what this shows is this purpose, purposefulness to broadcasting God's word. So that's why we use speakers. That's why we use a microphone. That's why we have a platform. That's why we have air conditioning and uh, other amenities that don't happen in third world countries because people are not as spoiled as you in these other countries. So they can listen in different circumstances. But for you, you need soft chairs and air conditioning. And that's okay. I'm not beating up on you. But, but we just build these things to help us listen. And they're going to vary a little bit culture by culture, right? They're going to vary a little culture by culture. Um, in our culture, the way I know that you're attentive in a predominantly Anglo culture is you stare and frown at me, right? Um, in other cultures, if you're attentive, you're going to say amen, and you're going to nod your head, and you're, you might even jump up out of your seat and say like, come on, bring it, you know, and that's going to happen differently in different cultures. But the, the goal is that we would be attentive and that we would be trying, building things so that the word of God could be broadcast. And that's what we see happening here. He goes on and he lists these other guys I'm not going to read the whole list because I went long this morning. This is not just because I'm scared of crazy names, but we've got this list of names. I read it this morning, so you can find that recording if you want to hear me pronouncing them. There's these other guys standing on the stage with him, and then later on we're going to get some other guys, some Levites that were there too. And what we see here, I think the principle that we see is a multiplicity of leadership. Um, and so the way that we work this out at our church is I'm not the uh, lone bishop of this church, but there's an elder board that helps me to shepherd the church um, that guards me and encourages me and helps to shepherd you. And then there's another layer. We have what we call small group leaders, and we have deacons, and we have assistant pastors, and we have Sunday school teachers, and we have all these other leaders that help people to understand God's word. And so we see it as a very important principle that we might have a, a specialist that spends a lot of time studying God's word and teaching it, but we also have a lot of other people teaching God's word and explaining it and helping people to understand. So we see various levels of leadership. All these people standing with him on his left side, on his right side. Go on in verse 5, it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. So again, something in our culture we don't do very well, frankly. Again, I don't, I don't mean to pick on you too much. I just like to point out these cultural differences. In our culture... We don't respond a lot. We don't stand up a lot. I meant to have you stand up when I read God's word, and I forgot. I did that earlier, too. So they stood up. Why don't you all just stand up real quickly? Everybody just stand up. 
All right, see, this is what people do in other cultures. They stand up, they sit down, they move around. Okay, you can sit down now. So they stood. There was just this like bodily reaction. Again, there's good things that come out of our culture of self-control. We're kind of a hyper self-control culture. There's good things that come out of that. But here we see a culture of responsiveness. They just naturally respond. There's good things to that too. So learn from your friends in other cultures that are maybe more responsive than you are. And so they stand. It says in verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So this is much like what we call the music or worship portion of our services where we have leaders standing up and literally blessing the name of the Lord, saying God is great and Jesus is our Savior and he came for us to rescue us. And people respond and they sing the words back and they say amen and people lift their hands and people bow down and you see them bodily responding. One of the reasons we're committed to singing is not because we're obsessed with music, but music is one of the most unified ways for the people of God to respond to God's word and sing his word back to him. So music has always been used by the people of God as a way to do this, as a way to say amen, as a way to say God's word is right, as a way to bless the name of the Lord, as a way to respond to him physically, vocally, with your bodies. This is an important part of broadcasting God's word. It's an important part of receiving God's word is learning to respond to it. It says in verse, uh, whoops, the page flipped. It says in verse 7, and then also there were these other guys, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jaman, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jezebel, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites. Okay, so that's the important part. These guys were Levites. Um, Levites were part of the priestly team. They're kind of like the assistants of the priests. Uh, and so again, these were other helpers who had more training uh, in the book of the law, more training in God's word. So kind of in our circles, we kind of have uh, different levels of people. We have like maybe assistant pastors who have had some more biblical training than maybe the average small group leader, but we've also got small group leaders that are helping teach, and we've got these guys that are helping teach, and those guys that are helping teach. So again, here we see these different layers where the other guys who are just guys helping to lead, we've got these guys who are Levites, who have a little more training, who are a little more devoted vocationally to leading God's people all kinds of different people, and it says they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So what this tells us is that um, got a huge crowd, there's a public Bible conference, and the people are in their spots, and then you've got leaders moving out to the people and going and pursuing them and going and talking to them and making sure they understand God's word, circulating around. Again, we have things today similar to this. We call them small groups, or we call them Sunday school classes, or we call them a fight club or a covenant group or whatever it might be where people gather together and they work out what does is, what is God's word look like in my life? How, am I applying this? Are you applying this? Have you read the scriptures today? Have you read the scriptures this week? And people trying to respond to God's word and leaders being a part of that, infiltrating the crowd and saying, are you reading it? Have you read it? Do you know it? Let me explain it to you. And there's follow-up. There's an interactiveness here. It's not just Nehemiah standing there reading straight up Deuteronomy for six hours. There's, he's got a team. He, he's thought this through. They're interacting. They're following up with people. They're explaining it. They're making sure people understand. Teaching in the Hebrew mindset was not lecturing. It was getting people to understand. Big difference. We, we're, we're very Gnostic. We're very 
um, enlightenment-oriented, we tend to think information is enough. Information doesn't count if you're not doing anything with it. It's worthless. Read the book of James. It's worthless. Just filling your mind with stuff and not living it out is it's, it's worthless. So here, they're making sure people are getting it. They're, they're following up. Verse 8 says, They read from the book, from the book of, uh, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This word gave the sense is a little bit of a debated word. Um, gave the sense is a good translation. Some people think it's more straight up translation. Some people think it's more like explaining, right? So when I teach God's word, I do mostly explaining. Um, sometimes I give you a little bit of translation, right? Like I'm doing right now with this word. So some people think this word just means translate. Some people think it means explain. I would say it really means both. It, it means both. It means break it down. So like if you don't know the language, you need a little translating. If you know the language, you need more explaining. So it's kind of the soup. It's all of the above. And that's what happens when the Word of God is taught. Um, the Targums are a result of this because most of these people, they believe, spoke Aramaic, um, but the Word of God was in Hebrew, and so there was some translation that had to take place there, but there was also explaining. It's both and. You don't just give a wooden literal translation and leave it at that. You also help people understand what it really means in their life. So this passage is an example of what we call now expository preaching. Have you all ever heard that word before, expository preaching? Some of you have heard that, so that's kind of a church geek word. Um, the way you can remember what that means is expose, right? So expository preaching is trying to expose the text. And so sometimes I translate and I say, this is what this word means. But you'll notice I, I purposefully don't um, constantly spill out Greek and Hebrew words to you because my fear is that you would begin to think, I can never understand God's word unless I've studied Greek and Hebrew like Dave. And just for the record, I cheat and use computer stuff all the time, okay? Um, I have studied it, but I need a lot of help. So I purposely don't constantly push translation in Greek and Hebrew on you because my goal when I'm teaching you is to explain the sense of it, but also uh, have you walk away thinking, if I had just spent a few more hours in the text, I would have seen that too. That's my goal because I want you reading and studying the scriptures for yourself. We, we say this all the time. I, I want you to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts who test what I'm saying and spend time in the scriptures for yourself and say, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Or come up and say, Dave, why'd you say that? Because I don't know if that's what the text means. I, we want that interactivity. So we've got them explaining, giving the sense so that the people understand. And that's the goal we have. So my question for you, first of all, is um, are, you, are you studying the scriptures? Are you studying it? Are you learning it for yourself? Second question would be, are you taking pains to help broadcast God's word to those around you? The only way that we can really impact the world is by broadcasting God's word. This is a beautiful picture here because it's right in the middle of Nehemiah. They're rebuilding the city. It's been mostly about building walls and houses. And then now in the middle of this, after building walls and houses, they say, hold on, the purpose, the greater purpose to these walls and this house is to broadcast God's word. So there are people in, in your life that may never come here. How, how will you take ownership to help broadcast God's word into their life? What will you do? There's also a lot of people that might come here if they were just invited. Because we've built a broadcasting center here, right? We've built the wooden platform and everything. We, we've got some ways to communicate God's word in this place. So as we continue to build and build more nursery rooms and build a foyer and do different things like that, the goal is to communicate God's word to people. 
So are, are you on board with that goal? Are you, are you with us in that? Can you help us? I'd ask you to pray about how you could uh, be united with us in trying to broadcast God's word. And then again, for some of you, you're like, no, I'm not on board. I think it's stupid. And that's fine. We're glad you're here. We want you to come back. We want to be your friend. We want, through the power of God's word, through friendship, through the Holy Spirit working in your heart, we want to see you get to a point where you actually realize, maybe I do need God's help. Maybe I, need, I do need God's word in my life. And so we're glad you're here. We want you to come back. And we'd ask you, again, to test the scriptures, to read it. I double dog dare you to just read the Bible for yourself, okay? Just begin reading it. See, see what happens. Um, so the next thing we see is a, then a response to God's word. We see, we already saw some response. You know, he blessed the Lord and they raised their hands and they bowed down and they had some bodily response. We talked about that. But we have more here. If you look at verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So, First of all, I want you to recognize that they're not saying it's never wrong to weep in response to God's law. I'd argue it's actually a very appropriate response. They're saying this day is holy. This is not the right time for weeping, okay? So what I want you to see is through the whole sweep of Scripture, the Scripture encourages us to respond emotionally. The Scripture encourages us to weep and mourn over our own sin, over the sin that other people have committed to other people. Uh, It encourages us to weep and grieve over just the brokenness of the world. We see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. We see Jesus, when his uh, friend Lazarus dies, weeping over death. So we are encouraged to weep. Weeping is good. I have a picture here of someone weeping in a church service, and I would say that is a completely appropriate response. Again, in in our culture, in the time and day that we live in, in our tribe, we we tend to be anti-weeping. We tend to be anti-emotion. We tend to say, stuff it, hold it, reserve it, especially military culture. Don't show emotion, right? And then all kinds of wires can get crossed when you just never express emotions. It's not, it's not good for you. It's not healthy. And again, I'm saying that I'm preaching to me while I'm preaching to you. I've done that. I've learned that. That's how I, le- that's how I grew up here. I was taught, big boys don't cry. I made that a habit. As I've gotten older, I've realized the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says weeping is appropriate. And the second point is here, in the response, it's appropriate for God's word to lead your emotional response. So on the one hand, it's appropriate to respond with what's in you. you see that in Psalms. Read the Psalms. The Psalms encourage you to bring your, to just throw up whatever stuff is in your heart. God, I'm mad. God, I'm sad. God, I'm depressed. You bring that to the Lord in your prayer, in your worship. But it's also appropriate to be led from the outside. And that's another thing I think that's hard for us to, to follow. The scriptures say outside circumstances can lead your emotions. So just how we do things in our own worship service, we, we build in a time for mourning. We call that a confession time, a, a time for grieving. I'm a sinner. I'm broken before God. And then we also build in a lot of time for celebration. We primarily do celebration, right? But because we recognize in our culture, our culture generally doesn't mourn or grieve over sin, when we first start, started building things at this church, we said, you know what? We need to pause and confess. So some of you, by temperament, you're more party people. And when you come in and we pause and confess, you're like, man, why did I have to do that, right? Breaks all the momentum. Why do we have to stop and be silent? And that's just weird. I don't like that. That's, that's fine. 
The Word of God will challenge you to be led, to let your emotions be led into a time of grieving. And then also we celebrate and we play loud music and some of you are like, I'd just rather be grumpy and melancholy all the time. Why are they trying to get me to celebrate? Well, again, scriptures would lead our emotions and say, you should rejoice. You should respond. And that's okay. Now again, this is a struggle. I would, I would ask you to pray about this because we've all seen it done badly, right? We've seen people try to lead our emotions in unhealthy ways and it kind of freaks us out. I'm that way. I mean, I, I come from the tribe that's generally suspicious of emotionalism and people leading people emotionally. But you've got to wrestle with what's happening in Scripture here. In Scripture, it's appropriate. So there seems to be some way to do this that's, that's okay, that's right, and that's, got, that's good. So they say, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord, of the, the words of the law. Verse 10, Then he said to them, it's a great way to lead your emotions. Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine. Okay? So this is a clue into one of the ways you can lead your emotions. I would say, uh, just to kind of argue for how this works in your everyday life, set aside the fats and sweets for a second. Just think about sleep, right? Like if you're always grumpy and you, you can't ever think straight and you're always frustrated and you're not sleeping at night, one of the ways you could lead yourself to a healthier emotional state would be to sleep at night. That's the way God made us. I would also say God's given us good gifts in creation, things like fat. Can I get an amen for that? Um, and sweets, sweet wine here. And those are things that can lead us. They can lead us, right? Like if you want to have a party, I would suggest sweets and fat and loud music, right? I mean, like that's just, that helps lead you to a place of partying. Again, they have reasons, their ultimate reasons are God and his grace to them but they're using external circumstances and they're saying this is the kind of thing we should do. We should celebrate. We should eat party food. He goes on and he says, and for those, uh, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. So we're in verse 10 again. Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's quoting right out of Deuteronomy 16 here. Most people think this was basically a Deuteronomy sermon with, with commentary from the rest of the book of the law because now he's quoting specific uh, verses that are talking about this time of year, which was the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, which was a time to celebrate that God had brought them out of their slavery in Egypt. They had had this wilderness wandering when they were living in tents, and so the people would at this time of year come and camp out in tents to celebrate, remember what God had done for them. And what's really cool is here now we have this echo because now God is bringing them back again, right? He brought them out of slavery in Egypt, sent them to the promised land. They had these festivals to celebrate it. They forgot God. They sinned. They were exiled. God in his abundant grace brings them back again. And so this has a whole renewed meaning for them as they're coming back from wandering a second time. And they are to celebrate and rejoice because God is good. The Lord is your strength. That's ultimately why we rejoice. We don't just rejoice because we're eating fat. That, I mean, that helps me to rejoice. We don't just rejoice because we're drinking sweet wine. We don't just rejoice because of the party. We rejoice ultimately because God is our strength. We see that in festivals that people celebrate today, things like Easter and Christmas and just different times when we say, let's have a party to celebrate God's goodness to us. Let's have a party. That's good. We, sh we should do that. We should be a people who celebrate. Uh, in verse 11, it says, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. 
And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So they shared with people that didn't have anything. Again, a big part of our Christmas celebrations generally, right? We have parties and we tend to give to the poor and have parties. That's a, a common celebration of Christmas, of Jesus coming into the world. That's a common way for us to celebrate. So we see similar things here. Uh, you may have other ways of celebrating in your background and ways that you celebrate God's goodness to you. Again, that's part of why when we have worship services, we try to celebrate, right? That's also the tradition of, uh, I think this is where the tradition of church potlucks comes from, right? Of, of having ice cream and fruit salad and fried chicken and things like that. So you come together, you party, you celebrate God's goodness, you have fun together, you rejoice. Again, ultimately, because the Lord is your strength. That's why you rejoice. And I, I love the verse that says, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Again, it's linking it back to we're responding ultimately to God's word. God's word reveals to us what God is like. We weep because we're sinners. And then the gospel comes to us and speaks to us and says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, for the Lord is your strength. Yes, you were broken in your sin. Yes, we did rebel from God. But God loved us so much that he took the punishment upon himself on the cross. Jesus died for us, taking our sins upon himself and giving us his righteousness. So rejoice because the Father delights in you. The Lord is your strength. He's taken care of it. He's paid the price. He's adopted you. He's made you his own. So rejoice. Is it appropriate to weep? Yes. Is it appropriate to continue to weep? No. Rejoice because Jesus loves you. And again, there's different personalities there's different phases. Some of us are more weepy. Some of us are more happy. We need both. We need to weep over our sin. We need to rejoice over God's grace. We need both. It's good news and bad news. Jack Miller, one of uh, a pastor that I really love, said, cheer up. You're a lot worse off than you think. But God's grace is much better than you ever imagined. You're a lot worse off than you think, but God's grace is a, a lot better than you ever imagined. God loves you more than you ever dreamed. So yeah, things are bad. Weep, but rejoice. God is good. God loves you. The last thing we see is we see them multiplying God's word. We see, again, kind of some structural brilliance. There's been all this organizational cool stuff we see in the book of Nehemiah, a leader organizing people, making things work. We see great operations in this book. And in uh, verse 13, we see it again, even with the Bible teaching that's happening. Verse 13 says, On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. So it wasn't enough just to broadcast to the people. They're now trying to find leaders and teach them strategically so that they can multiply God's word. And we see this always happening on a family-by-family basis. So we see an encouragement of families teaching God's word in their own families. So just as I was saying earlier, you should bring your kids along with you into worship so they can be a part of what the adults are doing. We also see you should bring God's word then into your home so that they know what's going on at the home level. So you're teaching God's word at home and that's God's uh, method for multiplying his word throughout a culture, throughout a community. So I have a picture here of a family happily reading God's word together. Um, So this is a two-part question. If you ever read the Bible at home with your kids, is this what it looks like? No. Okay, so... I just, so I just want to assure you, because there's a lot of you out there that maybe you tried it and it looked so not like this, 
It looked so unhappy and chaotic and horrific, you said, I'm never doing that again. We're just doing Sunday school from now on. I just want to encourage you that it never looks like this, okay? These people are posing for a picture just to look cute, right? This looks like a perfect, happy family reading the Bible, but in real life, it usually doesn't look like that. Um, So just know God's method for multiplying his word is you and your families. It is you talking to your roommate and your friend and your family about God's word. God wants that to happen, okay? We see that throughout scripture. We see it again and again and again. But just recognize it's gonna be messy. It's gonna be weird, right? Like say you're single and you wanna get together with a buddy for accountability and you're like, hey, let's, you wanna have coffee and like pray for each other? And he's gonna kinda look at you like, what? That's weird, right? I mean, there's, there's just going to be awkwardness to that. But I would say it's worth it. Our dream would be that our church would be a network of people getting together, praying for each other, reading God's word together, encouraging each other, informal, off the books, in homes, in coffee houses, all over the place. We don't need to structure it. We don't need to advertise it. We don't need to make it an official class at the church. We want you to be communicating with each other God's word. We want to see it multiplying at a grassroots level. And that's our dream. And it's never going to look that pretty, okay? It's just never going to look that pretty. It's never going to be stock photo. But it's going to be real life. And that's the goal, that it would multiply out. So he says, they brought the heads of households together. They studied it more. Ezra taught them more. They studied the words of the law. Verse 14, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So this was, I was referencing this earlier, Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths where they set up basically tents with branches, okay? They're camping out. And he says in verse 16, so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. They're all over the place, right? Like this is just the whole community is now camping out. So they're in all these different places, verse 17. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. So this was a festival that had fallen out of favor because of what they were saying earlier in this passage. We kind of think they were halfway practicing the festival. So we kind of think they maybe had a centralized celebration, but they didn't camp out in booths. Maybe that's because they were exiled. You know, we're not sure of all the reasons, but now they're kind of rediscovering the fun part of the festival. So again, this is another connection point here. One of the ways we multiply God's word is by having fun with it and responding in various ways. Earlier they said, eat fat and drink sweet wine, right? Here they're camping out. They're, they're making it fun. And so it says, there was very great rejoicing. And then verse 18, and day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. On the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So again, I, I love the, you know, when we read the, he preached for six hours, I was thinking, yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, what if we just did that every day at Grace Bible Church? You'd love it, wouldn't you? Um, that's my learning style, right? I love to study. I love to teach. I, I learn by hearing. So I tend to assume, I tend to fall back on, well, isn't that how all you learn? Don't you love sitting here for an hour, two, three, four, while I talk and talk and talk, right? I mean, that's, that's my bent. And I recognize, I have enough objectivity to recognize not everybody learns that way. 
So again, if you want to teach your family, if you want to broadcast God's word, if you want to multiply it throughout wherever your spheres of influence are, recognize that partying and camping out and festivals and all these other things help fill out how people learn God's word. This was all a part of God's design. We don't want to just be book people, right? The book is central. We're reading God's word. We're studying God's word. It said they're camping out and Ezra kept teaching and they're camping out and they're having fun and the kids are giggling and everybody's having a great time and they're reading God's word and they're studying God's word. It's a both and. All of these things work together. So again, I had the image earlier of the perfect happy family reading the Bible together. It's always more messy than that. And I would also add another layer to make it even more messy but more fun is to include other things. Include activities. Do object lessons. Uh, Celebrate. Um, Have fun. I said earlier at the beginning of the sermon, um, we don't want to be just about uh, fun and games. But fun and games are good, okay? Be a people who enjoy fun and games. Your kids will thank you for that. And I'm sure some of you adults, those of you that are up and down and moving around and have a hard time sitting through the whole service, you also would enjoy that as well, right? Let's move around. Let's go camping. Let's have a festival. Let's sing some songs. Let's eat some fat. Again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I know it wasn't bacon, but today we, I practice this by eating bacon, okay? Bacon and butter. Butter's good too. There's a lot of other ways to do that. But anyway, celebrate in, in different ways God's word. Learn God's word. Broadcast God's word. Receive God's word. As we, as we finish up here, what I want us to recognize as we see God's word at the center of repairing the city, is history tells us and the Gospels tell us that God's people got very good at this. They got really, really good at learning God's word. But Jesus challenges them and he says, you think by studying the scriptures, you'll have eternal life, but you're missing me. I'm the one that the scriptures testify about. And so I wanna wanna challenge you again that, beneath all of this is recognizing that you can study God's word and miss the word, Jesus. John 1 says he is the word of God. We're we're not just studying words to memorize facts. The Pharisees had the whole Bible memorized. They knew all the facts, but they didn't love people. They had information, but they weren't applying it by God's grace. Jesus says, ultimately, it's not about just coming to the facts. It's about coming to me, the Messiah. And that's Jesus' same invitation to you today. So study God's word, but don't study it thinking you'll find eternal life just by studying his word. Look for Jesus, the God that his word points to. That's the answer. That's who we're following. That's who we're looking to. When we say, God, my life is broken and I don't know what to do, we're, we're looking to him. We're asking him for his help. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond in a final song together. God, we thank you for your direction. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that you come to us not just as propositions and stories, not just as poetry and history, but you come to us as a person. And so we thank you for that. We pray that as we study your word, as we read your law, as we um, sing the poetry of the Psalms, as we are drawn into the narratives of the Bible and history in the Old Testament and the Gospels in the New Testament, we pray that we would be drawn into you, 
that we would see that you are good, we would see that you invite us to yourself, that we would be restored to a relationship with you, that we would no longer want to direct our own lives, but we would receive direction from you and that you would write your word on our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.